Hi friends, this is Lisa Purdy and I'm here to talk to you about professional development. I am uniquely suited for this because I am the first ever pharmacy professional development practitioner in the U.S. My job is modeled to follow the MPD, Nursing Professional Development Practitioner. AMPD has been around for 30 years and oftentimes in hospital settings you've seen nurse educators, but if you have an MPD you know that that is way more than that. As a professional development practitioner, we cover six key areas, onboarding and orientation, competency management, education, role development, collaborative partnership, and then research evidence-based practice and quality improvement. These are known as the big six as coined by Greta Price. This season, we are to dive into all things professional development and what it looks like to build a program like this from scratch. I'll give you the information that I have as why I think this is the direction healthcare is going and how you can show a return on investment by providing a program like this in your hospital that will elevate the practice of your technicians and your pharmacists. Hey guys, this episode I will talk through another one of the big six, competency management. If you remember from last episode, when someone is newly hired as a pharmacy professional development practitioner, the key here is to really start uh, to first get to know your staff if you haven't already. The bulk of your time is environmental scanning, so really soak in what they tell you. Watch what is unfolding in front of you. Spend significant time shadowing and observing. Once you have a firm understanding here, and please give yourself time. It can take weeks um, to really build on relationships here and go one more layer in. Be specific. Do a SWOT. So we talked about strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, and threats on each area. And But on this time, you're going to do it now on competency management. Um, so what you want to do is find out what your team is re- already doing. So mostly, do they do checkoff lists? Do you have any tests? Maybe you have some kind of yearly modules that your team has to complete. Write that all down. Next, you want to get yourself a copy of the book, The Ultimate Guide to Competency Assessment in Healthcare by Donna Wright. Okay? Competency assessment is done to assure that we are given the best practice best possible care to our patients and at the same time shine in our surveys from our accreditation bodies. So taking the time to thoughtfully and critically assess our own process is essential to have a successful program. So let's take a moment to define what the word competency really is. According to Merriam-Webster, they define competency as the quality or state of having sufficient knowledge, judgment, skill, or strength. You might also find other definitions that say something like the ability to do something successfully or efficiently, or that competence is the set is a set of demonstrable characteristics and skills that enable and improve the efficiency or performance of a job. Okay? Competency really incorporates three attributes. And if you look at Donna Wright's model, this is pretty much where we're going to land. It's knowledge, technical skills, and ability. They're all required to, to deliver safe Um, patient care, and correctly perform technical tasks. So when assessing competency then, it's a process by which our organization validates that an individual has the ability to perform a task consistent with the education and training we've provided. Um, We really need to show and provide evidence that they are competent. So Donna Wright really lands on the ability to show, prove, and demonstrate. And that's how we verify that they have what is needed to carry out their job um, and you know now and in the future. So competency kind of differs from education and training in that it incorporates all three attributes, knowledge, technical skills, and ability. 
So when you're assessing competency, it's the process by which we're validating, so a defined process that an individual has the ability to perform the task consistent with education and the training provided. So I'm saying this a couple of times because I want it to land, uh, especially if you don't have that book with you quite yet. We really want to show, prove, and demonstrate, okay? So here's a practical example that I've used with my own department. We recently started using Microsoft Teams about a year ago, and our company uh, is really embracing it. I absolutely love the program. Um, No, I don't get paid by them to say that. Um, But say that my boss comes to me and says, you know what, no one in our department really knows how to use Teams. In the past, if I looked at the way things had been done at my department, my answer then might have been, okay, let me go get an 18-slide PowerPoint uh, point that will kind of hone in about how to use Teams. And then, you know, we're going to do a module, an education module that um, will have a quiz at the end. So I know you read it, you went through it, and that you now have completed it. Okay. That might have sounded like a good idea in the past. But what I'm telling you now is that that is actually not okay. It's actually known as spray and pray, which is not efficient and it's not effective. Okay. Um, why? It's because if you think about it, my organization's been using Microsoft Teams every single day. So technically, if we're doing something on a daily basis, we're already proving and demonstrating that we can do it by using it appropriately every day. Okay. So instead, what I should be doing is ask more questions. Okay. So what were your experiences that brought that idea to mind? What don't they know? And who doesn't know? Let's be specific. Like, is it a couple of people we've identified are struggling or is it really the whole department? And where do we want that bar to be? Like, if it's to use this program, what about, like, what functions of it do we need everyone to use um, to set that minimum requirement? Okay. So, Say we, in order to verify competence, you have to show, prove, and demonstrate. So here's our line of competency. If you were to look at a a graph, like just a regular, you know, you have a line going up, a line going down, or to the side, and then you put some kind of dashed line across, okay? Think visually. That dashed line is suggesting that this is our minimum line to show, prove, and demonstrate that we are competent in this area, okay? So if you can think of it as the line is where we want, some people are going to fall below the line where they need education. Other people are going to be above the line where they don't need to show or prove anything. They know how to do a whole bunch of other stuff on top of what we need them to do, okay? Their ability to excel is way above the line of competency that is actually needed for the department to function, okay? Um So to be considered above the line, you might be able to share your screen or other members, maybe you're able to help formulate a Teams meeting and you're able to call on people like they raise their hand or things like that. But our minimum might be you're able to log in to the meeting. You're able to read the comments in the channels and understand what those channels are and when to use them, okay? Uh, if you can't do that, you don't know how to get into Teams, you don't know how to log in, you know, that would be showing where a team member needs education. So 
When you're a team member above the line and now you're told to have a mandatory module, education module about it, those people actually start to get bitter and feel unrecognized. So our goal is to want to bring people up to, from the bottom and not lower people and disengage those who are actually above the line. So remember that competency is about verification. Understanding this definition will actually create that success, okay? So our biggest takeaway in our competencies should be dynamic and evolve over time, just as healthcare evolves. So we want to avoid the yearly checkoffs of the same skills, people. We want to watch quality improvement outcomes, and if it starts to slip, then we want to look at what is starting to slip. Then utilize a verification method that can actually develop critical thinking skills and showcase the ability to show, prove, and demonstrate. Okay, so there are three key elements to successful competency assessment, ownership, empowerment, and accountability. For ownership, the team should pick their competencies. They own their practice. So this is the engagement piece. An example situation is someone in the department makes a mistake, the wrong med is delivered or made, and an error is actually caused to the patient and it hurts them. Okay, so first we review. What might be come out of this review? This could be a serious event, and we need everyone to do a med error education. Okay, that could be an answer if the problem was determined that to be an issue that affected and wasn't like the whole department was lacking. But if you find out other team members have never had this problem and never had any trouble with this type of med error, um, these type of team members are able to prove competency based on their quality and safety measure data. Like you don't have any data proving otherwise then maybe it's not for everybody. It would be important to um, to identify uh, when it should be a suggested mandatory education um, specific to that med error would be appropriate for the entire team or if it really needs to go to that one person, okay? So now there's empowerment. So this is an employee-centered verification. So team members are at the center. The team members are validating other team members. They use verification methods that are appropriate for each competency category. And we need to make sure that we don't create a top-down competency assessment, but rather have a team member focus that aligns with our values as an organization and the strategic vision. So possibly you have steering committees or something that are related. So that could be like you have a group of people who really own, say, the IV room, if you have one. Um, they would probably be the ones who own the competencies for that area because they're the gurus of that area. Um, and they would be the ones that would know if, like, the you know, maybe the sterile compounding isn't up to par or there's new regulations or things like that. They could kind of own that section. That's a lot better than having top-down or management's like, well, we have to have this and I want to see this from everybody you all need to do this. You need to all do this module. You all need to show that you that you did it with some kind of quiz and move on, okay? That's not empowerment. That's just not what we're looking for, okay? So now we have accountability. So leaders are responsible to create a culture of success. So keep in mind, 99% of team members will do their competencies that are assigned, but there will be 1% that don't. Um, and leaders should bend over, should not bend over, sorry, um, backwards to help support those who don't actually want to do that. They should bend over backwards for those who do. And so you want to support those who are and help them develop and want to be there um, as a good 
salad employee, okay? So if you're identifying people who are just struggling to get their competency, but they're really trying, those are the ones you want to invest your time into. But if these are people, if you happen to have a few that just don't care, they're not getting to their assessments, they're not trying, um, we're going to have a conversation about what that could look like. But that's accountability. So a comparison should also be done on what we know now and where we need to be. So competency should not come from the top down, like I said. That's kind of old-fashioned. Um, and if you guys are doing that, really challenge your team to think differently. Uh, team members should be at the center of this. So determine they're going to help kind of determine how they take the ownership, okay? And when they're successful with this, they'll be more engaged and more committed to your organization. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, if you think about it, if like you are the one that's really investing in something and you're taking the time to create a project, you tend to really care about it. And if you are given that autonomy to be able to do that at work, it's kind of like it becomes your home because it's like your territory. This is something you you take pride in and you know, you just, you, I just see this over and over where if you give someone that opportunity to really own something, they really tend to shine and it kind of spreads across those are around because they've taken ownership of something as opposed to someone saying, well, you just need to, you just need to behave this way or act this way or whatever else. Like it doesn't, there's no grit in the game, so to speak. So this may sound like it's more work, um, but really it's not. It's offering a new way to think about competency assessment. So we need to make things better by helping our team members identify useful competencies by carrying out an assessment process. In doing so, we'll create engagement and a healthy work environment. So keep in mind, there is actually two types of competencies. There's initial competency, which is reflecting the knowledge, the skills, and behaviors required in the first six months to a year including any kind of essential job functions, high-risk job functions, and accountabilities. And the attendant really think about the intended like essence of the job. So this can be done in about five to seven basic statements uh, related to attitudes and understandings that can help um, your team member be successful. So think ability to monitor, ability to communicate, ability to respond in emergency. What does that look like? Those what, that's what those statements can be. So you're really asking them to demonstrate monitoring, say, if you guys have it, a dosage cue for stat medications um, and the actions needed to complete um, a stat to get it done to the patient. Or you're presenting a, you're having them present a case presentation where they discuss how they picked up um, that a medication was stat and that they, what they did in that situation to make it delivered and what communications and actions that were required. Okay. So that's what you're thinking more for your initial people. Now, what I'm really talking about today, though, is ongoing competencies. So these reflect the ever-changing nature of the job, the organization, and the environment. We're developing ongoing competencies based on new initiatives, new or changing procedures, technologies, policies, practices, patient populations, etc. So you know you have a competency in the making when you can answer one of these questions with a yes. Uh, and you might want to write this down. Um, I have a worksheet that shows this so I can hand it to someone and say, does it fill in one of these boxes? <clears throat> so do you have a high-risk job function requiring accountability? Do you have a problematic area identified by a quality improvement data, patient or staff survey, or an incident report? And is there something new, like a new drug or a new process? So 
if you can say yes to one of those, then you probably have an opportunity for a competency, okay? Ongoing competency assessments and quality improvement efforts should be continuously monitored to create the, the skills that your organization needs to fulfill its vision and goals. So there are three categories you can put these competencies into. So you have clinical and technical skills. So these are your cognitive skills, your knowledge, your psychomotor skills, your technical understanding. Then you have critical thinking skills. So problem solving, time management, prioritizing, uh, planning, creative creativity, your ethics, uh, resource allocating, maybe fiscal responsibilities or clinical reasoning, reflective practicing, learning, and change management, okay? Then your third category is interpersonal skills. So communication, customer service, conflict management, delegation, facilitation of, you know, maybe collaboration, uh, directing others, articulation, understanding diversity, listening, respecting, caring, and building and nurturing team skills, okay? So think about what you're really assessing. So those are your three categories. You might want to write that down as well. And if you can um, understand what you're assessing, trying knowing that and what you're trying to determine will help you choose the appropriate way to verify. So what category are you seeking to hit? Is it a clinical, technical skills? Is it a critical thinking skill? Or is it an interpersonal skill? Okay. Now, for example, and say you have a technician who should know how to tube the first medication in the event that there's a lack of tubes available or there's a time-sensitive issue. What would require you know, from a one of these categories, what, what would that fall into? It would be a critical thinking skill, okay? Remember to take time to select the appropriate verification method and to offer a variety of options from 11 categories I will give you in your overall competency assessment process. This will give the employee choices, which shows respect for them as an adult learner, and it gives them the opportunity to buy into the assessment process. So most of these categories are self-explanatory, but if you need to, you can look them up. You can look them at down or right, or you can look online for different ways to do these, but these are the 11. You have test and exam. We have return demonstration, uh, evidence of daily work. We have case studies, exemplars, peer review, self-assessment, discussion or reflection groups, presentations, mock events or surveys, and then you have quality improvement monitors, okay? I also want to take a minute, if you have something like joint accreditation or some kind of um, or joint commission or some kind of accreditation body, um, which most of us do, um, it's important to understand what they're looking for. They are wanting to see competency happen and they need it to be done by a, comp, uh, a content expert. So you will need to make sure you identify team members that are uh, able to be content experts. So one of the things I've seen is steering committees happen where you say you have a group of say five in individuals who really enjoy a certain area, they become the point people for that area. They know all the guidelines related to it and they have um, kind of an expertise, maybe they're certified in it. They would probably be your team members that would identify what competency needs to happen in that area so that all team members who come through that area would be um, would have the same level of expertise. Um, so that would be one step. Um, role development um, or the role of the professional 
um, development practitioner would be to really look at competency verification and making sure that the selective verification methods are able to really best show the skills you're looking for. So for me, I remind him, the team members of the multiple options they can use uh, to incorporate adult learning concepts into our program. And that really has led to uh, creating some buy-in and commitment to the process. Um, Joint Commission states that the validator needs to be an individual with experience and knowledge. Um, so as long as you can show that, um, you're good to go. Um, validators are utilizing the different um, 11 ways to verify. Um, and ideally, um, they should be the um, they should be at a, a level that makes sense. So for instance, a technician can't really verify a pharmacist in a specific role. Um, but a pharmacist could verify a technician and a tech can verify a technician, if that makes sense. Um, let's see, validators need to uh, utilize the standard guidelines that they have. So for instance, if you have um, an IV room, you'd be using USP um, 797-800, your policies, um, and you would need to articulate those expectations of the validators clearly and uniformly to avoid any evaluation bias of different performers. Um, when the guidelines and objectives are clear, those validators will feel empowered to hold their teammates accountable. Okay. Now, there are five steps to successful competency management. One being identifying the competencies that matter. Two, select the ver right verification methods for each competency that's been identified. Clear accountability. So really knowing the role of the director, manager, supervisor, pharmacy, professional development practitioner, the team member, and any team leads. You want four being utilizing a team member center verification process and five being prompt and effective in addressing competency deficits or any kind of team member problems that you have identified, okay? Now, Donna Wright uh, states that you can take about two years for organizations to have a full buy-in. I agree with this. I've seen that on departments. It takes a lot to build up the program, and I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, is educating the team, what are they looking for, making sure they have little pods of groups so they can you know, have competencies kind of bubble up. If you're looking at quality improvement scores or um, anything, being able to identify those stronger team members that might be able to come up with solutions, that kind of thing. Um, strong competency programs share general some general characteristics, okay? So they maintain an emphasis on outcomes or achievements of performance expectations, their flexibility, and they're adequately giving time to achieve those outcomes. So it can take months, okay? So if you have, if you look at a calendar year, you might only have between four and six competencies for the whole year, which means you're gonna use all four quarters to make that happen, and you're not chasing them to get it done, they have to take it upon themselves. It is self-directed um, from their activity to make sure it happens as well. Okay. Uh, and then you want to use someone like myself, a pharmacy professional development as a facilitator and resource to incorporate the various learning and assessment styles need needed. Okay. So that was a lot of content. I really think you're going to want to take some time to review this again and really let it sink in. Maybe take some notes and think about how you can really implement this kind of program in your setting. For starters, you once you feel familiar with these concepts, um, review it with your leadership. Let them ask some questions. Give them some opportunities to buy into this. 
um, then you can go to your staff and then you can educate them, um, let them ask some questions as well. Um, and then that kind of leads to formulating the, the competencies. They're going to find them for you. Um, let things get started. Start asking groups, what needs are you seeing uh, that competencies probably are necessary? Um, and go from there. Let them take a few months to consider what competencies they want and what verification methods they want to use for those. Let it just organic, organically happen. And I think that's really important um, is let it sit on them, let it marinate, let the concepts kind of boil to the surface. You know what? We're, it would be nice if we had more of a standard of work within this area or we really need to make sure we raise the bar and the level of this, Okay. So in the next episode, we're going to take a break from the big six. We're actually going to talk about creating an informal leadership program and how to use it. Um, I do want to let you know that next week, if you're watch, listening to this as they come out in real time, I will be taking a break for our holidays. Uh, so the next episode will be released closer to the new year. Um, but thank you for joining me. And if this interests you, if it's helping you, please subscribe to the podcast every and every week. You'll, you'll get a new download from me about content that I think will really help you in this field. Um, feel free to ask questions and reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me under my name, Lisa Purdy. Um, and, you know, if you're able to share this content with people, if you're able to share this podcast, I think that would also help get the message out there. Uh, it's interesting that podcasts work by getting reviews. So if you can give five stars, that's great. Um, if you can leave feedback, that is also great. That's how other people find this. So if you think that this is a message that other people will be looking for, um, please help me with that. So that's it for today. Let's impact the world of pharmacy through professional development. And I will speak to you next time. Bye.